Literature with Nancy Richards. As FM Literature, it is third and final hour. Well, where we found our next guest is, is actually not difficult because he's ubiquitous. His name is Douglas Kruger, and he's written a book. His latest book is called Relentlessly Relevant, 50 Ways to Innovate. Well, he's going to explain to us exactly why we should be innovating, how we should be innovating, and how we can remain relentlessly relevant because he's in our Joburg studio. Hi, Douglas. Hi there, Nancy. Pleasure to be Lovely chatting to with you. to have you with us. Thank you very much. I say your latest book. I, I have the feeling that you've written many, but have you? Uh, yes, I have. Two with Penguin now. Okay. And I must tell you, quite an exciting experience just a couple of weeks ago to uh, walk into exclusive books with my wife and see two books on the shelves at the same time. So quite a, quite a satisfying afternoon that was. Absolutely wonderful. You're such a published author. That's lovely. <laughs> I suppose the thing about being a published author is that you've got to be, well, you've got to innovate something new. You've got to come up with something new because, as you will know only too well if you were looking around exclusive books, there are lots of books on how to be, seven ways to, etc., etc. How do you come up with something that's going to be relevant and, and innovative. Well, yes, and you're absolutely right. Even in the, the book publishing world, you have to have a legitimate reason for a new book, even on uh, the topic of innovation. And uh, the reasoning behind this one is because of what I call a meteorite strike that nobody has noticed in South Africa. Uh, about a year ago, I sat next to a gentleman from an agency called Yellowwood, who had uncovered some remarkable information about how South Africa's economy and how our buying public uh, look at the world these days. And it's something that nobody is talking about to their potentially to their great detriment and it's very simply this the South African consumer no longer cares about legacy instead we respond much more to the idea of how you are innovating into my world today now, as I say, that's quite a meteorite strike in the business landscape because so many of the, the old dinosaurs are still playing on the idea of we've been around for a 100 years, we have the biggest, tallest buildings, look at us. Mm. Um, and it's not psychology that South African consumers are reacting to anymore. Is it just a South African thing? I mean, not caring about legacy, living in the absolutely here and now, not, not even the, just the here and now, but the future, and things that involve me, 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 me. You know, it, we're a very sort of uh, narcissistic uh, Yeah, society. absolutely. And uh, I don't, uh, for, a, for a second, imagine that it's uh, unique to South Africa. Their research, of course, was specific to our market, and that's, uh, that informs the, uh, the cornerstone of the book. But I, would, uh, I think we can strongly assume that that's a worldwide trend. So are we to go then with that's the right thing to do? I mean, do we have to keep, I mean, it's the word relentlessly. Well, I think, oh, God, that's so exhausting. Do we have to relentlessly keep on being relevant? I'm afraid we do, and it certainly mm. does take a lot of energy to be at the front of the pile. But there are specific ways of doing it that simplify things for us. And uh, what I've really tried to do with this book is to cut through the fear that we feel. Because I think you've just hint hinted at a certain level of pressure that, um, that we feel when we hear the word innovation. We think, how do I remain relevant? How do I keep up to speed, keep ahead of everyone else? And uh, it's a terrifying thought. And you think to yourself, well, you know, I'm not a BMW, I'm not an Apple, I, I you know, don't necessarily have the technological information and drive behind me. How do I remain relentlessly relevant? And I contend in this book that it's actually relatively simple. The starting point is that you have to want to. Uh, unless that desire to actually stay relevant is there, nothing else can be taught. But once it is there, there are very specific, easy to implement ideas, which are just a matter of how you think about the world around you. Ideas or guidelines, I imagine, because each and every one of us has our own journey. I mean, last, uh, not last week, but a couple of weeks ago, we spoke to two people who both had written you know what we fondly call self-help books i think one was called um also it also had relevance you know how to how to 
be relevant in the title. The other one was How to Get Out of Your Own Way. I'm paraphrasing the titles, I can't remember exactly. But it was, both of those writers had their own story. And I'm presuming that you have your own story to, to get to a point where you are going to remain relentlessly relevant. Oh, uh, there isn't a one-size-fits-all, that's what I'm Well, saying. yes, absolutely, and I think you're quite right in saying that it's more guidelines uh, than rules, and really that's, that is the case with this book. What I've, I've done is worked across industries and just given examples, story examples, that illustrate an innovation principle rather than a formula. It's been a die-hard goal of mine with this book not to give a single formula, because the danger with that, of course, is if it doesn't fit you, your brand, your business, the book becomes irrelevant and a waste of your time and money. Uh, so the f starting point on this is that I've given 50 different ways to innovate. And secondly, and I think, as I said, you've rightly pointed out that they are, they are not uh, rules. They are guidelines. They are simple principles which you can apply to different scenarios. Well, it's to sort of break down your own parameters. I have to invite you to tell the story um, about your meal, sir. May I run that over for you? Because nothing <laughs> yes. is not an innovative situation. Can you can you sort of synthesize that for oh, us? Oh, it's delightful. And yes, the, uh, the idea when I started writing this book was to try and, because it's a book on original thinking, I didn't want to draw on examples from overseas. You know, we always talk about Apple and, and things like that. I wanted to start with a guy just outside of Soweto who sells bunny chow. And there's a, there are a number of remarkable things about his wonderful story. And it's a true story. What he essentially does is you come to his roadside stall and he will make a creative bunny chow for you. Don't ask too many questions about what goes into it. You don't really want to know. Um, but if you ask nicely, he will then wrap it up in foil, put it on the highway and allow a truck to drive over it at 120 kilometers per hour. After his, uh, his poor defenseless bunny chow has finally come to a halt in the middle of the highway, he'll then dash out between cars and retrieve it for you. And, you know, we talk about managing risk at work. And uh, he brings it back. And the whole idea is that it then uh, mixes and smears all of these ingredients together and creates something unusual. Now, the point that I make in this book is that he is the poster child for what I call a unique signature. He's giving his market an excuse to talk about him. And that's a fabulous form of innovation. But then I kind of reverse the tables and I say, the downside, of course, is that having a novel idea alone is not sufficient to make you wealthy. Because this guy isn't. And there are a number of ways in which he could be. He's got the theater. He's got the unique signature. His business model is completely different, which makes him a category of one. But he hasn't learned how to upscale, to advertise, and to show it off to the world. Well, he doesn't need to, because now he's got you to do his branding. <laughs> <laughs> what a lucky man, eh? It sounds like performance bunny chow. Absolutely, yes. yes. I absolutely love it. I love that story. Um, does he have a name? You know, I don't know it. It's, uh, it's a story that actually came up on talk radio a little while ago. And uh, a few people I, rem I remember called in and uh, verified and sort of spoke about it, uh, about how this entire thing works and said, yeah, they know the guy. I've never had the pleasure of meeting him. I'd love to. Okay, so we're going to be scouring the, the outskirts <laughs> of Soweto to see if we can find flattened bunny chairs. <laughs> the other chapter I like is Seven Reasons for Innovating. It's that magic number seven again, isn't it? But wait, give us the reasons. I mean, if you can, if you, I don't know if you've got the copy of the book Okay, there. tell you what I'll do is I'll give you a few of the, the more important ones. Okay. Uh, and in fact, one is based on a story, and I'll tell it very quickly. When the, um, a, a man finished um, uh, his military service in, um, in the Italian army uh, after World War II, and because of the technical skills he gleaned, he decided to start a tractor-making factory. And uh, as a result of his prosperity, he went and bought his first Ferrari. Now, he loved his Ferrari, aside from one technical thing with the clutch. Being technically minded, he came up with a solution for it. He then went to Ferrari and tried to give away this idea, this innovation, for free. 
In their arrogance, Ferrari turned him away. And as he walked down their doorsteps, he vowed that he would start his own uh, sports car company. And the only part of the story I haven't given away yet is that his surname was Lamborghini. Now, the principle, uh, it's a fabulous true story. The principle we learn from that is when you are not willing to pay attention to the pain in your customer's world, you are offering your opposition the opportunity to out-innovate you. You are giving away the space in which innovation exists. So one reason to innovate is if you fail to do so, you are offering the space to your competitors. And that's a, that's a very strong reason to do it. Yes, indeed. And one of the, it's, it's all very well to be doing, uh, producing excellence in your work in whatever way it may be. But if you keep on producing it, uh, as you say with the first one here, because sustained excellence becomes invisible. If yes. you keep on doing the same thing. Oh, that's also, it's a lovely principle. It happens mm. to, uh, to people on a personal level in their careers. You are so good at what you do and have been so good at what you do for so long that it becomes invisible. The only time people see it again is when it explodes, when it all goes wrong, and that's when they notice you again. So one solution to that problem is innovation. It's an opportunity to create a brand new splash in the market. It's an opportunity to draw positive attention back to you, your business, your brand. Uh, and another fabulous one that's very similar to that is if you are offering something that people basically like, but they've bought it before, what you are essentially doing is trying to sell the same wooden bowl over and over. And I, I tell a story to illustrate that one in which my wife and I bought a beautifully carved wooden bowl from a lady who came to our front gate. And every week for the, the next year after that, she came back to our gate trying to sell us another wooden bowl. And the solution to her problem there, because we do want to buy from her, but even your most ardent supporters don't want another identical wooden bowl, uh, the solution would be simply to branch out using that, uh, that core theme, that core brand of wooden carvings. So next week she offers us, say, uh, beautiful keychains. The week after that it might be a carving of a giraffe. Uh, the week after that it could be a beautiful sculpture of our president paying back the money, whatever the case might be. <laughs> That would be nice, wouldn't it? <laughs> um, if only it were as easy as, as coming up with a new product development for the wooden bowl. But it isn't always that easy. And I'm looking at the headline or the title that says, Because Unconventional Armies Tend to Win. Uh. And, and unconventional is good, but one doesn't want to be just innovating or coming up with something new just for the sake of it. Because that's also a bit transparent. Yes. And in fact, that's, uh, that's one of the illustrations with our guy with the, um, the bunny chow on the highway. It's novelty, and it's a, it's a wonderful novelty, but it's not necessarily actually bringing in extra money for him. Now, if he had business processes around that, and I go into a bit of detail about what he could do in the book, he could actually turn that into extra income. So, yes, there, there is an argument that says don't just gratuitously innovate for no particular good reason. And, in fact, one of the, uh, the examples I give is because you have tribes of believers who, who like you and like your brand, people who are willing to talk about the thing that you do in the world, don't release a new offering until you can give them something worthwhile to talk about. By giving them a subpar offering, you weaken your tribes of believers and you weaken their argument in the market. Just, I mean, I long to be personal here and say, how do you innovate? How do you remain relentlessly relevant? Do you have, do you have sort of um, internalized meetings with yourself and think, hmm, what next? <laughs> internalized meetings. I way prefer that to he's talking to himself again. Yeah. <laughs> Nancy, yes, absolutely. Uh, and in fact, I mean, uh, I certainly don't mind answering personal questions. I think my own ability, whatever it may be to innovate, comes from a little bit of an unusual family background. I grew up in a decent area, but we were kind of everyone's poor 
cousin. We struggled financially. And as a result of that, we, we were a very lateral thinking family. Now, at the same time, we, we were very into our reading and, um, you know, we, we read broadly. So there you've got the situation where you yearn to be as good as the people around you. Uh, but the one thing that does set you apart is access to ideas. And I think that's made a huge difference in my life. You know, when you're young and a little bit poorer than the kids around you, you feel very sorry for yourself. But I think in retrospect, it's been the single most valuable thing that I've ever gone through because it changes perspectives. Yeah, yeah. And it, it, is, it is all about perspective, isn't it? Yeah. And I'm sure enough, you have got 50 ways here, the 50 shades of uh, being, <laughs> being completely relevant. Did, I mean, the, these magic numbers, the seven, the 50, the, you know, do, do you sit down and think, oh, gee, I've only got 47, and that just doesn't <laughs> cut it, does it? Did you have to work hard to get 50? Well, no, in fact, actually, it was relatively easy. What I, what I did was uh, I go through a process of what I call shopping for ideas. Uh, so in, in the course of a year prior to writing this book, I just kept notes on my cell phone, and some of them would be from reading a book by, say, a Tom Peters, a Circle of Innovation, or the, all the latest titles, and some of them might be... Uh, might strike like lightning while you're on the uh, the treadmill at gym and then of course you you know you stop running and fall off the back and embarrass yourself but after you get up you write it down on your cell phone and just keep a, a running list of notes and actually I had the reverse problem it was it was quite difficult to winnow it down to 50 different principles uh, in a couple of cases I had to take two that were very similar and combine well them into a chapter. together yes mm. I'm sure a book like this will it date I mean you know we're talking about being relentlessly relevant had this been written maybe 50 years ago do you think it would still be relevant i mean i'm sure people weren't thinking quite so much in sort of help self-help books back then but certainly we we have a whole lot of them now do you know being an author who wants to sell books there are two answers i could give the politically correct one would be to say no no this shall last until the end of days um, but i'm going to give you an honest answer instead yes this book certainly will date the finding uh, about south african consumers preferring innovation to legacy is was last year and there are a couple of other things in the book that are very time related for example i give a breakdown of the the nations of the world uh, and where they rank on an innovation scale not my information it's uh, it's research and uh, things like that certainly will date however the the 50 principles have been designed to be underlying principles they are they are ways of thinking and that's the part of the book that will never date well, I suppose then the answer is hurry now while stocks last. You don't have long. <laughs> Douglas Kruger, fabulous. Thank you very much for joining us. Such very a pleasure. best of luck with the book. Thank you. You take care. Douglas Kruger, professional speaker and relentlessly relevant himself. 50 ways to innovate. If you'd like to get hold of the book, it's published by Portfolio Penguin. Relentlessly relevant. 50 ways to innovate. Well, innovate.